Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Praise God. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. It's great to be in the presence of God together this morning. Amen. So we're going to be continuing a series that we started last week. Before we jump into that, I want to mention a couple of things. You'll hear about them a little more in a few minutes when we do our announcements. But I want to mention that next week we are going to be doing water baptisms. And so if you have not been baptized in water, but you have a relationship with Jesus, you've accepted him as Lord, you've never taken that next step, that is an important next step for you to take. And so you'll hear uh, later on how you can sign up for that. But you need to know that is a, a next step that you need to take. When we get baptized in water, that's not just a religious uh, ceremonial rite of passage. That's a powerful moment in a person's life where they identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus, that we, we walk in that newness of life. So if you've not done that, love for you to do that next week. If you have done that, I'd love for you to be here next week and celebrate, celebrate the, the newness of life that we have in Jesus. It's going to be great next week. Also want to mention that in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be having special services with evangelist Tim Hall, and he is, he is a general. He is a great man of God, and we're, I'm really excited that we get to have him here in our church. This is something that we've been wanting to do literally for years, and it just hasn't worked out, but uh, it's worked out that we can have him March 10th, 11th, and 12th, so it'll be Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday morning. So those are going to be powerful services. I'm believing it's going to be a special time in the presence of God. So one, obviously I want you to be here during those services, but two, I'd love for you to be praying and believing with me that those are going to be special times in the presence of God, that people who don't know the Lord are going to come to know the Lord. And those of us who do know the Lord, we're going to grow in our love. We're going to grow and be, be nourished and built up and fed a powerful encounter from the Lord. So if you could be praying, help us get the word out, be inviting people to be here. Those are going to be uh, special times, March 10th, 11th, and 12th. We've got a lot of exciting things happening. Man, God, God is so good. This is a great church. I'm excited for what God is doing. I'm excited to be a part of it with you. Last week, we started, started this new series we're calling We Believe. That's one of our core values as a church. We have five core values. They're out on the wall. We don't want those just to be nice things. We really want those to be markers of who we are as, as the people of God, characteristics that you can see in everything we do as a church and just in us as a church family. And they're not things that we just thought were nice. They're things that you see modeled in the life of Jesus. These key characteristics, like one of our values is we love. We want this to be the most loving place that people could be on a Sunday morning. We want to be the most loving people that you can encounter in this entire community, that the love of God would be something on display in our lives. Jesus said that the, the way that we love is to be a distinguishing characteristic in the life of a, one of his followers and in a disciple. So the Bible says that Jesus laid down his life for others. Is it a demonstration of love. There is no greater love than to lay down your life for someone else. So if that's the example that we have, then, then we need to follow that example. We love. One of our values is that we go. We're not interested in just having a nice little club here and an environment for us. The heart of Jesus, Jesus told a story about a shepherd who left the 99 
to go after the one that was lost. And so we want to be strategic. We want to be careful to always invite people into this relationship with Jesus as a church, but also as individuals, wherever you go, when you go to work, when you go to the grocery store, that we would have a spirit of evangelism operating in us and through us. One of our values is that we give. We want to be generous, a generous church that's made up of generous people. And again, you see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus wasn't looking to hoard and and just hold on to things and see how much he could get his hands on. He came to demonstrate the generosity that God God so loved the world that he gave. Jesus came to give his life. And so that's what we see. Jesus gave his very best. We want to follow that example. One of our values is that we serve. We want to be people that have servants' hearts, not looking to be served, we're looking to serve. Again, that's, that's the example Jesus gave us. In John chapter 13, when Jesus and his disciples were sitting down for a meal and all of their feet stunk and nobody had washed their feet and they're all kind of waiting who's going to be the person that, that takes care of this problem, Jesus looked around and saw that there was a need. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, put a towel around his waist and start, started washing feet. He saw a need and he wasn't too good. He wasn't too proud. He wasn't uh, too elevated in his position to be willing to serve in whatever capacity was needed. And once he finished up, he said, okay, you saw what I did, right? That, that's what you need to do as well. As I've washed your feet, so you need to wash one another's feet. So in the body of Christ, we're supposed to have an attitude, a heart that I am here to serve. If you don't have a place where you serve in the body of Christ, you need to find a place to serve in the body of Christ. If you've not gone through growth track, the next time we offer it, you need to go through growth track and find a place to serve in the body of Christ. And we, we've got to allow that to be more than just, yeah, I, I serve once or twice a month or whatever it is, but I am a servant. That that's that's the attitude we want to have. So those are four of our our core values. And the fifth one is, is we believe. And that's what we're talking about in this series. We believe Jesus did the impossible. And when he had this miraculous uh, manifestations of the power of God that were really constant in his life, a, a steady a steady consistency of the miraculous, he said that the same things he did that we could do also and even greater things. We want a culture. We want to be a church family, people of God that don't just read those things in admiration, but that we have the power of God active in our lives as well, that we have signs and wonders and miraculous things, that we live not just a natural life, but we live a supernatural life, that it's not just for people that lived a long time ago. According to the word of God, that's for us today. That's for us now. That should be a mark in the life of a believer. And so the miraculous, as you read through the Bible, it's always tied back to belief. It's always tied back to faith. So we're taking time to focus on this this core value that we are people who believe. We started last week in Mark chapter 9 verse 23 where Jesus says, all things are possible to him who believes. For a person that believes, all things become possible. When you believe, you step into a realm. It's like you open a door and leave limitations behind, step into a new realm where all everything is, nothing is impossible. All things are possible for those who believe. That's wonderful. It's fantastic. That's so great. Thank God for it. But one of the things we said last week, things being possible is wonderful, but it's not wonderful enough because there's got to come a point in time where things move from possibility to reality. 
that we, we can't just allow things, people in their belief get to that point where all things are possible and that's wonderful and they allow themselves to plateau or get stuck right that and not allow it to carry over into moving it from possible into a reality in their lives. The, for, the, for, the person, for the person that's bound in sin on their way to hell, the fact that it's possible they could come to know Jesus and go to heaven, that doesn't do them any good until they actually come to know Jesus and get set free. If they're spending eternity in hell, separated from God, the fact that it was possible they didn't have to end up there, that doesn't do them any good. That It was just possible. And so we've got to get to a point where all things are possible. Then we've got to move beyond that point where things become realities. Amen? And we said last week there's a progression that happens. That Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So to, to believe something, you've got to receive that information. You read it. You hear about it. Somehow you encounter it. And then you decide if you believe or not. It's true in the natural and in the, in the spiritual realm. But then beyond believing, you need to begin to act on it. James says, faith without acts, faith without works, it's, it's dead. There's nothing to it. So we've got to be people that act on our faith. We read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, and since we have the same spirit of faith. So he's talking about the spirit of faith. And he says, we have the same spirit of faith According to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. He's quoting from Psalm 116, and he says, we've got the same spirit of faith as this guy that wrote this a long time ago. Whatever, what was operating in him when he said, I believe, and therefore I spoke, we've got that same spirit of faith operating in us. According to what is written, I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore we speak. That when we talk about we believe, we don't want to leave it right there. We want to have that same spirit of faith operating in us. Then just say, say that we believe. We believe and therefore. So when we talk about believing that we know in our hearts, we know in our lives that there is a therefore. What are you believe? That's great. What are you doing therefore? What are you doing with what you believe? We want to have a culture as a church family where we are doers of the word of God and not hearers only. That we know that all things are possible because we believe and then we're following through on that and we're seeing things actually happen in our lives, in our community, in our neighborhood, in our, in our workplace. We're seeing things happen happened. We looked at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, that where it's talking about things that were accomplished, and it's over and over. These great things that were done in people's lives, through people's lives, it was done by faith. By faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Abraham, by faith Sarah, by faith Moses. The things that they did, by faith. Well, that, they were examples for you and I. So by faith, we can do those things as well. That we can believe, I, I believe we can take this community for the kingdom of God. I, I believe that. That we need to act on that, and we can see, by faith, it can be done. We can take the state of West Virginia for the kingdom of God. I, I believe that by faith. That, that's the way it's going to happen. You can take your workplace. You can turn your workplace upside down for the kingdom of God by, by faith, by faith. So we, we talked last week about faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So we want that kind of faith. We want to be those kind of people that have those kind of results. So where, where we kind of ended things last week was faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. That's the origination point. Faith comes one way. It comes by the word of God. So I challenge you to have an unusual level of engagement with the word of God. As we're looking to make unusual spiritual progress this year, we've got to have an unusual level of engagement with God's word because the word of God is like the delivery van for faith. If I want faith, you know how it comes? The way that it comes is through the word of God. So if I want 
If I want it, I've got to have an increased encounter with the delivery method of faith in my life. Like if I wanted an unusual level of items from Amazon in my home, because I got some kind of weird impartation from my wife, if I wanted an unusual, an unusual level of Amazon items, you know what I'm going to also have an unusual level of? UPS trucks and FedEx trucks and, and post office trucks coming up and down my, my driveway because that's the delivery method. I, if I want one to increase, then the other one, ha- the, the delivery method has to increase. If I want an unusual level of faith, I want to grow in my faith. I want us as a church family to grow in our faith, to progress at an unusual rate. Well, the only way that comes, the delivery method is the word of God. So I've got to increase my level of engagement. And then the last passage we looked at last week was Psalm chapter one, the first three verses where it talks about a person who's like a tree planted by, by rivers of water. It says that they bear fruit. Their life is fruitful. It says that their leaf, when does it wither? It never, it never withers. And it says whatever they do, whatever they do, it prospers. Whatever they do, it prospers. That's wonderful. It's not enough just to believe that because it gives us something we need to act on to see that as a result. The first couple of verses say that person stays away from wickedness. They, they cleanse their life. They decide, I, I don't want to follow that. I don't want to be around that kind of stuff. I want to live a life of holiness and righteousness. And then it tells us that they meditate on the word of God day and night. Uh, that's an unusual level of engagement with the word of God to meditate on. It. I'm thinking about it. I'm reading it. I'm saying it. I'm talking about it that the word of God is in my heart, it's in my mouth, it's in my mind in the morning, in the nighttime, all the time, an unusual level of, of engagement. That, that, that doesn't happen for a person that dabbles in the word of God, reads their Bible once or, twi- once or twice a week. That person doesn't have biblical grounds to expect that they're gonna be like a tree planted by rivers of water, that their leaf doesn't wither and whatever they do prospers. You, you've gotta follow and act on the word of God to pack it into our lives, to pack it into our minds. We use the illustration of somebody who who eats a, a lot of garlic, that if you eat enough garlic, you just keep, every day you keep eating it consistently, it's going to start coming out of your pores. People are going to start, you're not gonna have to tell them, I, I like garlic. Yeah, yeah, we know. We're well aware of the fact that you like garlic. You don't have to tell, it's coming out of them. It's the same way it should be in our lives. You don't have to tell people, I, I like the Bible. I know, everything you do is in line with the Bible. It's coming out of you. It affects your behavior. It affects your relationships. It, it affects everything that you do because you just keep eating it and eating it and it starts to come out of your life. This is very simple, but it's important for us to to understand this, to acknowledge this. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, that progression that we talked about. That I can't believe something, I can't grow in my faith if if I don't know about it in the first place. I need to encounter it first, and then I can believe it and move on into biblical faith. So if it starts with knowing the word of God, I've got to know about it. What of God's word do you know? Because you you can't believe something. You can't have faith in something that you don't even know about. In Acts chapter 19, Paul went to Ephesus and he found some believers in the first few verses of Acts chapter 19. And when he found those believers, he said, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit? When you first believed, he was asking them about baptism in the Holy Spirit. And they had no idea what he was talking about. Hey, have you guys received the the, the Holy Spirit? Holy who? What was his last name again? They had no idea. We didn't even know there was, there was a Holy Spirit. They, they couldn't have faith to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit because they hadn't encountered the information that would allow them to believe. Romans chapter 10, how can someone believe unless someone first tells them? And, and, then, and then they can believe. 
Hosea chapter 6, verse 4 says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Think about that. This is God speaking, and he says, My people. He's not talking about random heathens. Just a bunch of whoever's. He's claiming them as his people. These are the people of God. And he's laying claim to them. He called them my, my people. The fact that they were the people of God didn't spare them from destruction. He said, my people are destroyed. Why would the people of God? How are the people of God? He's talking about them, calling them his own. These are my people. How are they destroyed? For a lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed because there's things that they need to know that they don't know about who I am. My, my promises. We talked about last week some of the benefits of faith. Ephesians chapter 6 talking about the armor of God, says, above all, take the shield of faith with which you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Well, if, if faith comes, it starts by knowing something. Think about the strategy of the enemy, all the damage he can do to keep you separated from the word of God, to keep you ignorant, that if he can keep somebody ignorant, he also keeps them faithless because faith comes from hearing, hearing the word, the word of God. So in doing so, he's removed your shield. If you're ignorant, there's areas of your life where you have no shield. You're, you're, just, you're fair game for him to fire. You have nothing to quench the darts of the enemy in your lives. The, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So if he can remove knowledge, if he can keep you ignorant of what his word says, he's also removed what's necessary for you to walk in victory. That God wants you to be an overcomer, but it, this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. That if he removes knowledge... In doing that, he removes belief and he removes faith and you have nothing to act on or believe. So what, what do we know of the word of God? What truths from God's word have you hidden in your heart? What, what do you know about what God's word has to say about your level of success, what you can accomplish in life, where God wants you to go? What's fair for you to expect when it comes to your health? What's fair for you to expect and understand when it comes to your finances? What does God's word say about those areas? Maybe there's a certain area where you know, you know that, man, things aren't right in my life. I know that things aren't good in this area. What does God's word have to say about that area? Maybe it's your family, your marriage, your children. What what does God's word have to say about you and that aspect of your life? Because Jesus knew what the word of God said about him as one of the things that helped him achieve what he achieved to be what he, what he was, was that he knew the word of God when he was tempted in the wilderness. You know how he responded every time the enemy, he, he had a shield of faith. He knew the word of God. It is written. It is written. It is written. That, that's how he responded. Man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That wasn't just some verse. He, knows, he knew that that applied to him in that situation. He was able to wield that. He knew God, God's word. It wasn't just in the wilderness. Throughout his life, he knew the word of God. He said that I have come to do your will as, as it is written in me of me in the scrolls or, or, or in the record of, of the book. He knew what the word of God said about him and he kept his life in line with it. What does God's word say about you? Do you know what it says? Do you know that the Bible says that you are for signs and wonders? That that's what you, if you know Jesus, that that is what you are for. You are for signs and wonders. In Isaiah chapter eight, verse 18, it says, I and the children that you have given to me are for signs and wonders. And we could attribute that just to some Old Testament thing in the life of Isaiah. But then it's quoted again in the book of Hebrews talking about Jesus and the people that he was used to bring into the family of God. So if you've come into the family of God through Jesus, 
than you are for signs and wonders. Your, your life is for signs and wonders. You've got to understand that. You've got to know about that and then believe it and then to begin to approach life with an understanding. My life is not just supposed to be I struggle through. I just try to manage to get through from one day to another. I am for. One of my purposes in life is that I would be a sign of the goodness of God, that the way that I live my life, my marriage, my children, my finances, the level of joy on display in my life, a peace that goes beyond understanding, that it would be a sign and a wonder to the people around me for the glory of God. That's what you're for. You are for signs and wonders. You've got to know the word of God to believe it and then begin to expect every day when you get up in the morning, today I'm for signs and wonders. The next day I'm for signs and wonders. But if you never know it, you'll never have that level of expectation because faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. I'm just using that as one example. That's something to be excited about. You are for signs and wonders. You are uh, uh, an expectancy. An anticipation as you go through the day. Man, I'm a sign and a wonder to the people. I, I hope you're getting a load of this. I'm a sign and a wonder. It's not what we're saying about ourselves. It's what the Bible says about you. But it takes faith to produce the fruit of that. God's word is a seed. And you've got to grab that seed and hold on to it to see the, to see the fruit of it in your life. God's word says wonderful things about you. Do you know what it says about you? It says that you are empowered. There's power in you through the Spirit of God. It says that you've been given authority over all the powers of the enemy. And not just to know about it, but to believe it and to begin to act on it, to allow it to change the way that you engage in life. In Psalm 107, verse 2, it says this, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Let the redeemed of the Lord let them say. That, that word in the Hebrew can be translated as let them answer, that they would answer or that there would be a response. When God does something on your behalf, when God says something about you, you are redeemed. It's not supposed to fall silent, that there is a response. There's an answer. Let the redeemed of the Lord say. Let, them, let there be a response. Let their, their life answer. Let it echo back. When God, God says that you're redeemed, let them say, what, what's the redeemed of the Lord supposed to say? So, it's a little anticlimactic, isn't it? <laughs> let the redeemed of the Lord say, so. so. Right? He's not saying that we say so is in like whatever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say, so. So, that, but that's some people's attitude, right? We talk about being re redeemed of the Lord. I had to talk about how you're for signs and wonders for about five minutes to get a response out of you. So, sometimes the way we hear the word of God, the response is, so we're, we're indifferent about it. Let the redeemed of the Lord. I've been redeemed. I've been pulled out of sin. I, I've been given new life on the inside of me. That there should be a response. And not just so, not just a whatever, but something that correlates with what is said. That would echo back. It would be the same thing. That what God says over my life, I receive it. And it doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter if I feel redeemed. If people think I'm redeemed. If I feel forgiven. If I feel healed. If I think it's valid or not. That I submit myself to the word of God. Here's what God's word says about me. And so that I say what God says. I, I don't say so. I say, you, you say I'm redeemed, then I'm, I'm redeemed. And it's not just our mouth, although our mouth is cr critically important, what we say, but an entire response that my life would speak it. My life would be lived out. It's like, it's like a reverberation that God says something over my life and I choose to get in line with it. That I'll say the same thing. I'll allow my life to be like an echo of what he says redeemed. My life begins to put evidence. It's like echoing, reverberating with the fact that, that, that I, am, I am redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. 
You know, God's, God's word is not just ancient writings by some men that lived a long time ago. The Bible says that the word of God is inspired. It's inspired. It's God-breathed. That the word of God was written, not, not as men decided to write. Hey, I think I'm going to write a book of the Bible. It says that they wrote as the whole, holy men of old wrote as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. That the whole, it's, this is the word of God. And just like in the book of Genesis, God's word has a creative power to it. That we're not just fumbling around with historical documents. It's beyond that. It is the word. It's the living word of God. And it still has the power to create as I, I allow it to sync up with my life. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And a key aspect of faith is not, not submitting the word of God to my understanding but submitting my understanding to the word of God. That, that I allow my preferences, what I think is appropriate, what I understand, I submit all of that to the word of God. I, I come under this instead of submitting this to, to my own mind and my own intellect. A key part of faith is being willing to be, to be foolish as we act on the word of God. A foolishness, a foolishness to let my life answer to the word of God. Whatever God says, what his word says, just a, a simplicity. My, my life answer, it reverberates whatever he says. Turn, turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 5. Second Kings chapter five, starting in verse one, it says, the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. We'll keep reading. But I've always been impressed with this young servant girl. That she was, she was essentially a prisoner of war. That they had come and defeated some of the territory of Israel, captured her, brought her back, made her a servant in this guy's house. And she sees the way that he's suffering, and she recommends a method for him to find a cure. I've always thought, what a compassionate young woman. But I was just reading this passage this week, and I, and I kind of got a different take on it. It kind of depends on how you read it. One day, the, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria he would heal him of this leprosy. And for some reason, the tone switched from compassion to disgust. That this young servant girl, you know, leprosy is a disgusting disease. You, you, you rot away. You start losing fingers and toes and ears and noses. So this servant girl is tired of cleaning up around the house, vacuuming, trying to figure out what the heck has clogged the vacuum this time. pulling out a toe, an ear. And then she's finally had enough. Kind of changes the way you read it, huh? Then I don't feel so bad for not being compassionate when I read it that way. 
I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of this leprosy, right? So it, it reads a little more natural like that. This is disgusting. I wish you'd just go and get this problem taken care of. I'm so sick of picking up after you. <laughs> okay, anyway. Really, it's nothing to do with where we're headed. So Naaman, Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you, for you to take to the king of Israel. So Naaman started out carrying his gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, am I God that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone with leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset, Naaman? Send him to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. Again, again we'll keep reading. But I love we serve a God that doesn't get himself in dismay with things that cause people to get in dismay. That this severe situation, this, this crazy ask that the king of Aram was making that would cause a king, a king of a nation, to wring his hands and say, I don't know what we're going to do. That we serve a God that says, what, what are you so worried about? Things that seem insurmountable, huge problems, maybe things that you're facing right now. I don't know what I'm going to do about fill in the blank. I don't, I don't see a way. I don't understand how this could ever be resolved. What are you so worried about? Would you turn that problem over, yes. over to me? Yes. Verse nine, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. And he was healed. This is a, an amazing story, one that most of you are probably familiar with. This enemy of Israel has leprosy from his servant girl, finds out that he could be healed by a man of God, goes to pursue it. When he finally gets to Elisha's house, he, he travels all this gold and silver, goes to the king, the king refers him to, to Elisha. He gets there, and Elisha doesn't even come out to meet him. He sends out a message, which in my, reason, my mind, when I play the story out in my mind, the message is delivered on a piece of paper like from a fortune cookie. She brings out this little piece of paper and hands him the, the, the message, and he, he opens it up, and it says, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. 
and he's offended by the way this whole thing has played out. He's offended at the instruction. He's offended the way, the way that it was delivered on this fortune cookie paper. And so it says that he gets, he gets angry and he stalks away. He's not going to do it. Why, why is, after coming all that way, after knowing I am in desperate need, I'm wasting away, literally. Why, why wouldn't he submit himself to the word of God? It, the way that it was delivered hurt his feelings. He, there were certain aspects of it he didn't like. That it didn't make sense to his mind. It didn't make sense to his understanding. How in the world is dipping in that river, not once, not twice, but seven times, how is that going to help the condition that I have? There's no medical evidence that that helps somebody with leprosy. He didn't see how, he didn't see why, it didn't make sense to his, to his mind, and so he rejected the word of God. When the word of God came, his life didn't answer. It didn't reverberate. He rejected it. He didn't line himself up with it, and that's the way a lot of people are. That even when they know they need God to do something in their life. God, I need a change here. I want my marriage to be different. I want my finances to be different. I, I want my career to be different. I want my emotions to be different. That when they encounter the word of God that gives them instruction on that area, if it doesn't make sense to them, if it's not palatable, if it's not pleasing to them, then they reject it and they'll, they will choose to have their own head instead of having, having the solution God wants them to have because they refuse to submit that it didn't make sense to him. I mean, I, if it is a river, I can think of at least two better rivers back home, that would be better. If, if it is dipping in a river, then why not one of these? It had to be his way with something that made sense to him. But his servants speak up. Verse 13, but his officers said, tried to reason with him and said, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? If, if they told you to do something hard, that word in the Hebrew means something great, something significant, something important something impressive, if it had been something that you, you could understand how that would affect your condition, if you could see because of the level of effort, because of what I'm doing, I, I'm somehow earning this thing, if you could somehow reason through it, you would have done it. If it would have been impressive, somehow you could have received glory because of what you did and earned your healing, it, then, then you would have done it, wouldn't you have? Then you should certainly obey when he says, Simply go and wash. The, the word that's used here is actually the same Hebrew word from Psalm 107, that the redeemed of the Lord should say so. You, you should certainly just, why not, why not just let your life reverberate with what God was saying? Why not just do? Why not just let, let the redeemed of the Lord say so? Let the redeemed of the Lord say, why not just say? Why not just echo? Just submit yourself to the word of God, to the instruction of God. He says, simply, it's simple. It's simple. You would have done something complicated and extravagant. Why not, why not just submit to something that's simple? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus talks about approaching him, coming to him like a child. That if we're going to come to Jesus, we need to come like a child. And there is no verse that says that we need to have childlike faith. That, that's a term that we throw around. We need to have childlike faith. So we can't quote a scripture that says that, but you can see from passages like Matthew chapter 18 and others that there are characteristics of a child that we need to have in order to enjoy the fullness of the kingdom of God. And one element of a child is that things, need, things are simple. Things aren't complicated. When we say something is childlike or even childish, there's usually a level of simplicity to it. If you read a child's book, 
It's one of the ways you can, you can know that it's a child's book because of the level of simplicity. When I, when I read to my daughters at bedtime, now it's just, just the youngest one. When I read stories to Hazel at night, she's our youngest. I've never been reading her a book because of the, the plot was so complicated and there's subplots and so many different characters are coming in and out of the scenes. I've never been reading a story and said, Hazel, are you, are you even following this? I'm so lost in this, this story, right? If it's a child, uh, a child story, it, it's not complicated. It's not complicated. It's like one line on each page, 18 point font. It's simple. It just, it's simple all the way through. The illustrations, it's simple. It's not, it's not complicated. To, to our flesh, to our natural man, there's a resistance sometimes to things that are just simple. You see that naming because it wasn't complicated. It's just, it's, it's just simple. Childlike faith, there's a simplicity to it. Here's what God says. Believe it and just do it. it, it it's just It's just simple. We take God's word and just do what God's word says that we are, that we are supposed to, to do. That's the kind of faith that God is looking for. That's the kind of faith that God desires. It would have been pleasing to God if when Naaman, when Naaman heard that instruction, go and, and dip in the river Jordan seven times, if he would have jumped on his camel or whatever he was riding and taken off and done a cannonball into the Jordan, if he would have just responded, this is what God says, then that's what I'm going to do. That would have been pleasing to God. But he was resistant to it. He, he wasn't going to do it at all. Fortunately for him, as he was beginning to, to elevate his own understanding over the word of God, he had people in his life to begin to help him lift God's word back over his understanding and say, listen, I know it doesn't make sense to you. I know you got your feelings hurt about the whole thing. What if you just go ahead and actually do what God's word tells you to do? He had people around him. We need people around us like that as well. It's one of the reasons you need to have a group of people, a family within the family, to be in a, in a connect group, to have people that know what's going on in your life, to know the decisions you're thinking about making, to be living life close with you, that when you start to elevate your reason and downplay the word of God and try to submit it to your own understanding and your preferences. There's people to, to put their hands on your life and begin to, no, no, no. What if you just actually do what God's word says that you should do? I'm, I'm not really happy with my marriage. We've been struggling. I'm just so frustrated. I'm not really fulfilled. So I'm thinking about leaving her. I'm thinking about leaving him. That makes sense in the natural mind. But what, what if you just follow the word of God and apply the word of God to your situation? You know, I'm struggling with my finances. I think if I took this step, I think if I took that step, in my own mind, it seems like a shortcut to get to where I want to go. Well, if it violates the word of God, it might seem right in your own mind, but it's not going to lead to where you want it to go. You need people in your life to help you keep God's word above your mind and above and above your preferences. Fortunately for Naaman, he had that. The foolishness of just doing what God says to do, just the, the foolishness of jumping in a river seven times in a row, that he did that and his flesh was restored. He was made whole. It wouldn't have happened any other way than by faith, taking God's word and just acting on it. And that's all through the word of God, the foolishness of just hearing what God has to say and doing it. Just the, the, the simplicity of, of Bible faith. In John chapter 21, John chapter 22, after Jesus has died and has rose again, the disciples go back to fishing. And it says that they, they went fishing all night and they didn't catch anything, which seemed to be uh, the pattern for Peter and his buddy's fishing career, where we start with Peter's finding him in a boat where he'd been fishing all night and caught nothing. And at the end of the gospel, we find Jesus finding Peter that he's 
been fishing all night and caught, caught nothing. One of the kindest things Jesus ever did for Peter was to get him out of the fishing business because apparently he was horrible at it. I mean, how many times can you go fishing all night long and not catch a thing? But Jesus calls out to him from shore. You remember this story? Take your net and, uh, and put it on the other side of the boat. Why? What, what difference does that make? What difference if I put the net down here, if I put the net down here? You don't understand anything about fishing. That doesn't matter if I put it here. That's such a small change, but it, it's a huge change when I submit myself to the word of God. And they decide, you know, it doesn't make any sense. I don't see how that could make a difference. What, what good would that do? But Jesus said it, so I'm going to do it. And they reaped an, a, a miraculous harvest because of it. In John chapter two, at the wedding feast in Cana, when they were out of wine, and Mary said to the servants, you just do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Just, just submit to whatever he says. Do whatever he says. And so Jesus says, let's get these uh, containers filled with water. Why? We're not looking for water. It doesn't make any sense. It would have made sense to say, let's gather some money, go down to, to Kroger, find some wine, get a couple nice boxes of wine, bring them back here. That would have made sense in the natural. But Jesus says, Let, let's, get, let's get all the water we can. Just get, bring me a bunch of water. It didn't make any sense. But fortunately, they submitted to the word of it, just childlike, simple, a willingness to be foolish, that it didn't make sense in the natural, but that's what brought in the supernatural. And the same thing is true in my life in your life. Faith is just acting on the word of God, not submitting it to my understanding, being willing to be foolish that I'm standing on the word of God. My life is answering, not according to what you think, not according to what I think. The redeemed of the Lord, I'm going to say, I'm going to live. I'm going to, I'm going to base my life on what God's word says. And if sooner or later, it's going to begin to reverberate. It's going to begin to echo. And I might seem foolish at first. Those people filling it with water seem foolish at first, but when they're delivering the best one anyone had ever tasted, the foolishness disappeared because the miraculous came forth. That's the way it'll work in our lives. There's got to be a willingness to be foolish, to act on the word of God, to produce the results that we want. Naaman didn't think it was dumb anymore when he got out of there and he had skin like a baby. It stopped being foolish at that point. At that point, it became the wisdom of God. You know, the Bible says that God uses foolishness to confound the wise. So if I'm going to resist foolishness, I'm going to close the door to me ever living a life that confounds oh, a sign and wonder. That's confounding. Sign and wonder. To step into sign and wonder reality, the Bible says foolishness is the way there. Not, not foolishness, bad decision making, carelessness. Foolishness that, man, my understanding, I don't lean on it. I lean on the word of God. Let me give you a, a, couple, a couple passages just as examples. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. All spiritual blessings. He has, he has blessed us. That's past tense. Not he's going to bless, not he could bless, not he might bless. He has blessed us. He has blessed us with, with all spiritual blessings because we are united with Jesus. Because of that union, all spiritual blessings belong to us. It's, all, it's already done. Amen. 
What, what blessings are ours in the spiritual? All. Now you might hear that and think, well, that's nice. Very sweet of the Lord to do that, that he would bless us with all spiritual blessings. But the blessing that I'm looking for is like, a real blessing. Like, I, I need a financial breakthrough. I need healing in my body. I need something to happen in my marriage. So the spiritual stuff, I really appreciate that. But I need, I need like a, a tangible blessing that could actually change things in my lives. And when we think like that or respond to that, read a passage like that and kind of uh, say so, kind of respond with uh, that, that I, I mean, I guess it's nice. We don't understand the significance of the spiritual realm, that the physical is a manifestation of the spiritual. So the fact that we've been blessed with all spiritual... Every spiritual blessing, we've already been blessed with it in the spiritual realm. It's, it's, it's available. That's the realm of source. That's the realm of origination. That the easiest way to see that is in the creation account. We've talked about this before. God is spirit. He is spirit. And when you read Genesis chapter 1, he begins to speak. He speaks the universe into existence. So everything in the natural, everything that's tangible, things that you can touch, things that you can smell, all, all the, the rocks, the trees, the mountains, the, the planets, all of those things came from the spiritual realm. So the spiritual realm is the realm of origination. That's the realm where things come from. And it's by faith that we take things from the spiritual realm and bring them into manifestation in in the natural realm. And so all spiritual blessings have been given to us in the, in the spiritual realm. There's nothing that you lack in the spiritual realm. It's just a matter of faith receiving it. Sometimes it's easier to see the impact of the spiritual on the negative side than it is the positive side. That you, you can see if someone's under a curse, if someone's tangled up in sin, th those are spiritual things. But you can see the way that affects their life in a real tangible way, that they're bound in addiction. Their life is full of turmoil. Their, their, their body's full of disease. Death itself is a manifestation of, of sin. So you can see on the negative side, well, how much more so on the positive side, all spiritual blessings have been given to us because of our union, because of our union with Christ. So, so many times our faith is misplaced in the focus of it and what we're trying to accomplish in our faith. That we think that our faith, I'm gonna believe, and if I believe enough, I can get God to do something. And the focus, what we're trying to do with our faith is misplaced. That I'm not trying to get God to do something. If I can really believe God will bless me. It says that he already has blessed me. So it's not a faith trying to twist God's arm, trying to, to move the hand of God. Bible faith is believing that the hand of God has already moved on my behalf. It's, it's a receiving faith. Like, like with healing. Man, if I believe enough, if I really believe, I think I can get God to heal her. That, that, your, your faith is misplaced. Bible faith is believing that God has healed her. Look at, the, look at the life of Abraham in Romans chapter 4. He's recounting it. I won't read the whole thing for the sake of time, but in Romans chapter 4, verse 16, it says, So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses. If we have faith like Abraham's, it's talking to us now saying we need to have faith that, that, that is like Abraham's faith. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. This happened, what happened? That Abraham actually became the father of many nations. 
He is the father of many nations. How, how did that happen? This happened because Abraham believed. Verse 16 says, so the promise is received by faith. That's, that's important. The promise is received by faith. It, not the promise is made by faith. Now, I'm gonna really believe God's gonna make me this. No, 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 no. You've got it backwards. The promise is received by faith. It's, it's a matter of receiving, not, not moving God, but receiving from, from God. And then he quotes in verse 17, he quotes from Genesis chapter 17. This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This is past tense talk again. I have made you the father of many nations. I've done it. It's a done deal. I have made you the father of many nations. It's in that same chapter that God changes Abram's name to Abraham. Changes it from Abram to Abraham, father of multitudes, father of many nations. So Abraham's name changed when God said this. That when he went around to his friends and family and they said, hey, Abram, what's going on? I don't, I don't answer to that anymore. I don't respond to that anymore. I don't answer to that. I answer to what God has said to me. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. My life answers. My life responds. I don't, I don't respond to that. I respond to what God has said over me. If you want me to respond, it's got to be what God says about me. I, I answer only to Abraham. This is what the scripture means when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. God said that in Genesis chapter 17. You know, in Genesis chapter 17, Abraham didn't have Isaac. You know when Abraham had his son Isaac? Genesis chapter 21. So God said it in the past tense, I, I have made you a father of many nations. What, what are you talking about? Abraham said, my, my life is gonna resonate. My life is gonna reverberate. My life is gonna be an echo of what you say over me. Genesis chapter 17, no Isaac. Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 19, Genesis chapter 20, no Isaac. Genesis chapter 21 is when he finally got what he'd been believing. But God said in the past tense, it was already done. How did he receive the promise of God? God said, on my end, it's as good as done. Again, verse 17 of Romans chapter four says, this happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. God, Abraham believed God. He said, I'm gonna start to reverberate. I believe what you said over me. I'm gonna start talking it. I'm gonna start living it. I'm gonna speak it out. I believe that you're able. You can take my life and even though it's nothing, you can make something out of this God. Even though my hope is dead, my marriage is dead, my career is dead, what my dream dreams are dead. God, you can turn this thing around as I take the word of God and I begin to not submit it to my understanding, but I bring my life under it. I'm going to let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What does this book say about you? What does the word of God say about you? If you believe God is able to do whatever he's promised, whatever he says, he's able to perform it and be like Abraham said, my life is going to answer to what you say about me. My life is going to reverberate. My life is going to, whatever my past experiences, whatever I thought of myself up until this point, this marks the day where I change and I begin to answer to what God says about my life. Let me give you another example from 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. It says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. It's talking past tense again. It's saying that you have overcome. You've already overcome, so we're not trying to overcome. I'm not trying to see what I can do. I, but the Bible says I've already overcome. If you are in Christ, if the Spirit of God is on the inside of it. You can go ahead and change your name to overcomer because that's what God has said about you. I don't, I don't answer to defeated anymore. I don't answer to depressed. I don't answer to, to any of those negative things. I answer to overcomer. He says, you, 
You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. This happens because, it happened because Abraham believed. It happens because I'm an overcomer. It happens because Luke believed, believed the word of God, that God is able to take nothing and make it something. Because you believe God's able to take something dead and make it alive again. That, that, that's, how it, that's how it happens. That our lives, we'd be so foolish that our lives just begin to reverberate, begin to echo. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know what's important? God's not just throwing out random instructions. It matters that you say so. It matters that there's a response. It matters that I, I do something to get, get in line with it. He says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. It's not like when you were in school and they did roll call. He's just looking for people to say here. Now, who, who's redeemed again? Would someone, which one of you is redeemed? Would you just say so so I know who I'm dealing with? He's not doing it for his benefit. He's doing it for your benefit. He's, he's already done what he needs to do to redeem you, to heal you, to save you, to set you free. Now he's, saying, he's inviting us. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Begin to line your life up with it. Begin to submit yourself to the word of God. Your, your mouth is important in that. To begin to speak it, but then to call your entire life into alignment with what God's word has to say about you. The Bible's filled with those kinds of instructions. Colossians chapter one says that you've been, you've been rescued from the power of darkness. You've been rescued from the power of darkness. That means the darkness, the wicked one, doesn't have power over you. It's already done. He doesn't have power. Even when he tries to exercise, it's by faith. I know, nope, you, you don't have power over me. It's already been, been done over and over and over. Things that are already established that faith isn't trying to get them to happen. Faith understands that they have happened. And I'm just, I'm just, I'm just receiving. I'm just receiving. Here's what I want to do in a couple of minutes. I want to take some time and just do exactly what we're talking about. That you could find two or three passages of scripture that you need just to begin to reverberate. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Find some passages, an area, there's an area where my, I, I realize my life isn't measuring up to what God's word has to say about me. I'm, I'm going to begin to speak it. I'm gonna to begin to say so. I'm gonna call my life into alignment with the word of God. I, I don't know what that passage might, might be for you. If you're, if you're stressed, if you're anxious, and you feel like you're always worried all the time, you could take something like the 23rd Psalm. Say, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want, I won't be in lack because he's my shepherd. I'm in good shape. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He makes me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams to begin to speak that over your life, to prophesy it over your life, to use the power of your words, to call your life into alignment and drive that fear and anxiety out. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. If you feel like I'm weak and I need strength, I can do all things through Christ who, who gives me strength. You just find, find a passage of scripture, begin to speak that out in faith. That the redeemed of the Lord, I'm, I'm doing what you, you said to do. I'm saying so. It's coming out of my mouth. I'm calling my life. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.